This morning we're going to continue in our sermon series on the um, on prayer. That's what we're talking about on the idea of the ser- sermon series is, Lord, will you teach us to pray? And today we're going to dive into that and we're going to talk about something that is often adjacent to prayer, um, but we're going to talk again about the heart of prayer. And so... To do that, I want us to open up to uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. This is Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And he's just finished section on teaching about prayer and how his followers ought to pray differently. And then he comes to verse 16 and he says these three words. When you fast. Now, if we were reading a, if we were reading the Bible and we were going to stop at every point at which there was a significant application point or something that we had yet to implement into our life, that would be the end of my sermon. Right? Like, I, like fasting is probably one of the least, if not one of the least, practiced spiritual disciplines in the Western Protestant evangelical church. Churches like us, we don't fast very often, and we don't talk about it very much. It's perhaps something that we have lost and we have left behind us in the trail, and Jesus' assumption is that we would fast. He doesn't say, doesn't tell you explicitly to fast, but he does say when you do fast. He's implying something, and he's implying it better than anybody's mom can ever imply anything, right? Now, today's sermon, I've got, um, before I really dive into it, I get moving into where I feel like uh, the Lord wants us to go today. I want to pause for a moment, and I want to address anyone in the room or who's watching online who struggles with uh, eating disorders, uh, body images, or has a complicated relationship with food. I'm going to be talking a lot about fasting and what all of that entails. Um, and I have thought significantly about this issue and how it relates to that. And what I want to do today is I want to first build a theology of what exactly fasting is, because I don't think we have very much of a clue at all as to what it is. But then I have a particular part at the end of the sermon where I'm going to spend uh, a little bit of time specifically addressing anyone who is struggling with fasting, where it would either be unwise to do so because of medical issues, or it would be unhealthy to do so because of an eating disorder or another issue of sorts like that. So I will indeed get to that. I hear you. I see you. I know you're in the room and online, and I want to make sure that that is addressed and we'll get to that. Uh, But I just ask you to be patient with me. I will get to it. It'll be at the end of our sermon. So this idea of fasting, right? Fasting has lost its regular place in the church. It's not something that is often talked about or often practiced. But the history of fasting is very, very old and very, very long. Uh, to put it into context, Pharisees, right, Jewish people, they were often practicing twice a week or fasting twice a week. They would fast, um, they would fast on Mondays and Thursdays. And then after Christ resurrected from the grave and the early church started, they continued that same practice and the early church records themselves and, and said it was best practice to fast twice a week on Wednesday and Friday. And that was actually common Christian practice all the way up into maybe a hundred years ago or so. That like it was such a common and ordinary and expected thing that was often practiced that um, John Wesley Uh, at a certain point, refused to ordain any pastor who did not practice fasting twice a week on Wednesday and Friday. I didn't know that, right? It is something that is practiced by the church globally. If you were to go anywhere outside of the United States, you would find churches full of people who regularly practice fasting. Um, High churches, churches with significantly uh, significant more liturgy and uh, 
more tied to the church calendar, often practice fasting. Um, but like for our particular demographic of Christianity, we, by and large, don't often practice fasting. Actually, the thing is, is that the health and dieting community probably talks more about and practices fasting more than many, many Christians do. And that's, I think, really, really sad. And so what I'm not up here simply to do is I don't want to just simply say, okay, go home, fast, stop eating food, um, because that is not simply enough. It is not simply enough to abstain from food. We need a theology of what exactly fasting is. Because, because what I'm not talking about today is I'm not talking about how much food ends up on your plate or whether or not you skip a couple meals. That's not what I'm talking about. If you think that all I'm going to be talking about today is food, I want you to hear me clearly. That is not what I'm talking about today, but I'm going to get there. But simply to say this, I want to go to 1 Timothy. I'm going to look in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy. And this is Paul writing to a young letter or young leader of a church named Timothy. And he says this in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such things come through hypocritical liars, those whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry, and they order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God has created is good, and nothing is to be rejected." If it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. So Paul is saying, he's like, look, like there are people, probably people at your church right now who are going around and saying, you should abstain from this. You should abstain from this. You shouldn't eat this type of food. You shouldn't marry. You shouldn't do this, right? Putting all of these physical restrictions on the body and what ought to be done or not done. And then if we skip down to um, verse 7, uh, it says, Have nothing to do with this godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. And then verse 8 here is key. For physical training is of some value, but godless, godliness is, has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The point here is, is that abstinence or abstaining or fasting or denying ourselves of things is not the point for physical discipline. It has a spiritual implication. If we're fasting just because like, oh, well, apparently that's the thing I'm supposed to do and I'm just subjugating my body to the discomfort of abstaining or fasting, that is not of any spiritual good if you're just doing that to your flesh. Right? The point is that we need to have a spiritual understanding of what we're doing, not just a practical understanding of what we're doing. And so what exactly is the heart of fasting? I want to look, turn back to Matthew. I'm going to go a few verses, for, chapters forward in Matthew to cha- Matthew chapter... Um, let me double check this. Yeah, we're just going to go back to Matthew chapter 6, right where we were at. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. I'm going to pick up where we left off. Jesus teaching about fasting, and he says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to you, your father who is unseen and your, and your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. So this is not a commandment to go home, 
pour olive oil on your head and then wash your face and then skip a meal. That's not what he's saying here necessarily. What he's saying is, is like putting oil on your face, washing your face, would have just been a normal daily activity, like getting ready to go out and face the day and be out in public. It would have just been putting yourself together. So the whole idea here is, is don't be flaunting fasting, right? Now, what that tells me is that fasting is for God and it's not for others to see. Fasting is for God to see and not for others. And so, you know, this is, I think this is an important thing to mention in a culture-wide phenomena where we share just about everything with everybody, right? We are constantly taking photos of everything and putting it all online. Not everybody should know what we're doing in our spiritual lives necessarily, Particularly, it might be better if people don't know, particularly when it comes to fasting and prayer here, right? God's saying, why are you doing it? Is it for me or is it for others to see? And so fasting is particularly Godward facing. Now, there are a number of different reasons um, that we see in the Bible as to why different people or different occasions to pray. Fasting, if you were to look for it throughout the Bible, you'd find a lot of it in the Old Testament. And there's, I mean, pretty much just about everybody fasts, to be 100% honest. Like everybody at some point finds an occasion to fast for one reason or another. I want to quickly go through um, and just point those out to you. We're not, um, we're going to go through this pretty quickly because there's a bunch of them, but uh, so don't feel like you need to play, you know, super Bible fingers. We're just going to go through these verses real quick. So first in First Samuel chapter 7, we have this. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of foreign gods and Ashereths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And so the Israelites put away all their Baals and Asherahs and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mitzah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. And when they had assembled at Mitzvah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And on that day they fasted and they confessed. And we have sinned against the Lord. And now Samuel was serving as a leader of the Israel at Mitzvah. And so the idea here is we see Israel fasting on an occasion of corporate repentance, of confession, of admitting that they have sinned against the Lord. So we see fasting connected to repentance. We see uh, fasting connected to intercession or solidarity in the book of Esther chapter 4. In Esther chapter 4 verse 15, as Esther is getting ready to go into the before the king in order to ask for the king to spare the people's lives, she says, um, she sends the Mordecai and she tells all the people to go and fast on her behalf. And we see that as a symbol of, or a way of interceding or praying for or expressing uh, solidarity. In Acts, we see the early church leaders use uh, Prayer and fasting in conjunction when they were making decisions, they were seeking wisdom. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. It's seen as this place of seeking the Lord in particular for guidance and for wisdom. And then I want to talk about one particular instance that we often see in the Bible for fasting, and I, I think it's worth noting. Um, in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 12, we see an example of mourning being connected with fasting. And they mourned and they wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. So Saul had died in battle and David, who was being hunted by Saul, mourned, and in his mourning he fasted. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you'll find lots of times where people mourn and fast. 
Now, this is my particular opinion on that, is I don't think that that's necessarily prescriptive. I don't think that that means, well, like if you're going to a funeral, you must fast. I don't think that's a bad idea. I think that would actually be a really interesting thing to put into practice to involve some physicality in our mourning again. But what I think we see in the Bible is describing a cultural practice of often mourning as a way of expressing sorrow, and with that comes fasting. So I see that as you kind of encounter that perhaps in your own study. So it gives you maybe a category of just like that was what everyone did. You know, if like everyone goes to a funeral, you get a potluck and you get those big um, Pyrex pans of mac and cheese with all the crumbly stuff on top, right? Like, Let's go. Amen. Right? <laughs> like, that, like that's our cultural thing, right? This was their cultural thing, right? A little bit different, but similar. Um, so... All that to say, I could go on and on and on about all the different moments in the Bible, why and where we see people fasting and what it's connected to. But what I do want to say is that that simply tells us that fasting is a supplement to prayer. It's something that we do in conjunction with it. We see it as a physical response or a physical posture that has something to do with us and God in our relationship with him. Now, thing is, is we might be tempted, and the Israelites were tempted to think this, is that fasting is a magic wand. That fasting is kind of the, I don't know, the spiritual equivalent of getting to the checkout line at Walmart and there's candy and the little kid wants candy and says, I want the candy. And you say, no. And then they say, I'm going to hold my breath. (gasps) Right? Like we might be tempted to think that that's the equivalent of what fasting is, is us just saying, God, I really want this thing. I'm going to hold my breath until you give it to me. That is not what fasting is. And God says as much. If we turn to the Old Testament and we go to Isaiah chapter 58, This is God calling Israel to account for their spiritual practices. And again, this emphasizes the fact that I am not just talking about abstaining from food. Fasting has a significant spiritual heart posture that goes along with it. Isaiah 58. I'm going to start in verse 3. And this is God speaking through his prophet Isaiah saying, why have we, he's saying like the people are crying out and they're saying, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed yet? So they're calling out to God and they're saying, we've been fasting, we've been humbling, we're putting ashes on our head, we've been doing all the things, we've been going to temple, we've been praying all the prayers, we've been making the sacrifices. God, why have you not responded to us? This is God's answer. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice will be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's heads like a reed? or for lying in sackcloth and ashes. Look, God is saying, you're fasting, but at the end of your fast, you're fighting with each other. Or while you're fasting, the people who are working for you are working underneath unfair rules and expectations that you're not honoring justice. Do you think I will really listen to you if you're just going to spend one day acting really religious and pious, and then the next, go back to doing things exactly how you wish to do them? Continues on to say, is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke, Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? 
Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear when your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. God is saying that fasting, mere simply abstaining from food, while having a heart and a life that is out of line with how he has called us to live is dishonoring, is wicked, and he will not honor. In case you think that this is just an Old Testament passage that makes you uncomfortable, let's go forward to the New Testament. If we go to the New Testament and we go all the way forward to the book of James, the brother of Jesus, he writes this in James chapter 2. Verse 14 says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such safe faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accomplished by accompanied by action, is dead. Fasting apart from loving God and others with our whole lives is dead faith. Like, this isn't just about whether or not we abstain from food. This is about our lives and our heart postures. What are we doing with our lives? What do we truly desire? What are we actually aiming after here? Matthew chapter 9, I think, clarifies this for us. This is, again, Jesus teaching about fasting. This, I think, is a key passage for us, and, and I think it's an important one to understand because I think Perhaps you've heard this passage before, maybe you've heard it taught, and you've perhaps heard this as an argument against fasting. Matthew chapter 9, I'm going to be in verse 14, says this, Then John's disciples, so the disciples of John the Baptist, came up to Jesus and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees, we often fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. He's saying, it would be really silly to go to a wedding and then fast, right? Like, this is the day of the wedding. Let us rejoice and feast. Let us not fast. I am the bridegroom. Christ is with his people. Why would they fast? goes on in verse 16. This is the part that often throws people off. No one sews a new patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Or neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. So, Jesus goes into some home ec class teaching, and he's like, all right, like if you're going to sew a patch, like you don't want to sew a brand new cloth on there because that cloth will shrink when you wash it, and then it will tear away from the old cloth that has already been shrunk, right? Don't do that. He's saying when you're filling up new wine, you don't want to use the old wine skin, which is made out of animal skin and such, and so that wore out. And if you're going to pour new wine into that wine skin, it would burst open, right? He's saying that there's something new happening, and it's going to revolve, and it's going to require a different type of spiritual practice, a different way of living. He's saying that the old way of fasting has come, and there is a new type of fasting that is coming. 
Now, if you've ever encountered this verse before or you've heard someone talk about this, and I even ran into it yesterday. I was reading a commentary on this passage, and the commentator said, and this is why we shouldn't fast. It's what he said, which I humbly, vehemently disagree with him. Um, And the reason I disagree with him is because of what Jesus said, where he said, then they will fast. Right? So Jesus is saying, they're not fasting now, they will fast in the future. He does not then go on to say, here's a reason that, you know, really fasting is not all that important. Right? What he's saying is, is they will fast, but they will fast for a particular reason that is different than what you're fasting for now. And the reason that they will be fasting is because they are seeking and looking for Jesus. Fasting is about our desire for Jesus. It is about our heart's hunger and desire for Jesus. That is what fasting is about. Fasting is us taking our body and praying with our body. Fasting is praying with our body, essentially. I think so often we get into a place because of the way that we talk about the spiritual life and the way we conduct um, the way we live our lives, that like, oh, like our heart is just like my mind and like my spirit, and we neglect the body. Fasting is a way to involve our whole self. Christ came down and became incarnate and became and took on flesh. If it's good enough for God, our bodies ought to be good enough for us to involve in worship. And so, we see in Romans chapter 12, this is a famous passage, Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Notice what it says. Offer your bodies, your physicalness. It's not necessarily saying your heart. It goes on to talk about the heart and goes on to talk about the mind and the transforming of it. But the first thing out of the gate that Paul mentions is your physical body. God wants us to be involved as a whole entire person in our offering of ourselves to him in worship. All right. I know that was a lot. But I covered all of that because I want to make this one central point. So, something that I've learned. So, I'm, I recently was mar- married in my first year of marriage. And in marriage, you, you discover a lot of things about yourself primarily. Um, what I've learned is that I'm a picky eater. I was like, my, my, my wife's like, like, oh, like, do you think you're like a, you know, that's like one of the things you ask, like probably pretty early on in the like dating process. Like, are you like a picky eater? You know, you always want to talk about your favorite cuisine. I think I said, you know, no, I'm not a picky eater. Well, um, my wife has since then called me out on, on that several times. She's like, you are a picky eater. Um, and, and, and understandably, you know, we'll get together and she's trying to like figure out, she's like, okay, so what are we going to do for food tonight? She's like, oh, do you want to do like this, like, you know, this thing over here? And I'm like, uh, you know, yeah, that sounds fine. You know, she's like, what about this? Uh, oh, that sounds fine. How about a cheeseburger? Oh yeah. <laughs> right. I get excited about the thing I actually want. Right. I'm like, oh, I don't want the, I don't want the, the thing, right? And it's like, hear me, this is my own desire, not my wife's cooking. My wife's cooking is excellent. It is that I'm just so habituated to a bacon cheeseburger with a vanilla Coke and some fries, right? <laughs> like that is just my flesh, right? Um, that is years of being a bachelor right there. Um, and so that's what I truly desire. And so the question I need to ask, and we need to sit down and pause, is what is it that we actually are hungry for? What is it that we are actually seeking after? We, have, we are people of appetites. We are people of appetites. We are finite, meaning we are limited in almost every single capacity. 
You cannot stay up infinitely. You do not have infinite energy. You do not have infinite time. Your body can only be in one place at a time. You only have so much focus. I know you think you can multitask, but you can't. You are limited in every single way except for one. And that is your desire. We will always want more. We will always want another meal. We will always desire more of a good thing into excess. And the question is, is maybe, maybe we are trying to fill an infinite desire with limited things when we ought to be filling that infinite desire with an infinite person. Our desire, we are feeding ourselves ice cream cones, thinking it will fill us when there is steak and potatoes over here being offered in God. We so often choose what is temporary, what is less than, and we feel our, fill our stomachs, fill our desires with those things, but then we neglect to tr- search after true food. John chapter 6, verse 35, this is Christ speaking. He says this, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Do we believe that, church? Do we believe that if we come to Christ, that he is truly the satisfying bread and thirst that will quench us and we will never be thirsty again? He is true food and he is true nourishment for our souls. Who do we desire? Who are we truly desiring? This is the prayer This is the prayer of fasting. It is to say this. As much as I desire food, I desire you more. Right? When you are fasting and your stomach growls, and you feel and you're like, I'm hungry, the prayer that ought to be resonating in our hearts in that moment is this. As much as I am hungry for physical food right now, Lord, I desire you more than that. It is a way of praying with our body and saying, my physical hunger is one thing, but my spiritual hunger is greater. My desire for God surpasses my desire for physical food. See, this is the heart of the spiritual disciplines, whether it is you are praying, you're spending time with the Lord in quiet time, reading your Bible, you're prayer walking, you're sitting in silence, you're fasting, no matter what that discipline is, the thing that ought to be going inside of your heart and mind is a letting go of what you are holding on to that is not God, so that you can grab hold of God in a fuller and greater capacity than you have before. Fasting is us practicing with our bodies and with our, our physicalness and saying, I am letting go of things so that I can lay hold of God and his kingdom more. Prayer is less about bending God to our will and is more about us conforming to his image. It is saying, God, we desire you more than anything else. Let me let go of whatever it is I am holding on to that is less than, that is unworthy, that is unwise, that is unhelpful, that is simply not you because if I'm holding on to it, I cannot grab onto you. As much as we desire anything, let us desire Christ more. That is the point. That is the heart of it. The question is, is what do we really want? We fill our lives with noise, with busyness, with self-importance, with accomplishments, with goals, with just simply silly distractions. Why? I think it's because we want something. 
And I know what we want is what we want is Jesus. What we need is God. But for some reason, we refuse to go to the banquet and the feast that he offers, and we fill ourselves with what is less than, what is detestable, what is not him. That is the heart. That ought to be our prayer this morning, church, is that, Lord, we want you. We hunger for you and you alone. That we might involve our whole selves and ought to be trying to let go of whatever it is that hinders me from seeking God more, to seeing him more active in my life. so that I can begin to live my life in a way that is more in accordance with his kingdom, that is loving him and loving my neighbor to a greater capacity. So that is the theology of fasting. It's why I think it is so important And I think it is an absolute shame that we have lost sight of it and its important role in Christian faith. There are a number of different reasons you might fast, but I would say that the main reason is so that you would desire and grow your hunger for God more. So now comes to um, a transition in what I'm talking about today, and that is the transition to just some of the practicality of fasting. If you've felt a call this morning on a desire of your heart to seek God more, to see him more present and active in your heart and your life, and you feel the Lord calling you into fasting and into prayer, I would encourage you to do so, but I encourage you to do so wisely. If you've never fasted before, uh, there's a bunch of practical considerations that you need to have. Um, we see in the Bible, we see um, different types of of fasting. We see fasting where there's the um, complete abstaining from food for a period of time. Or there's sometimes there's partial fasting or abstaining from types of food uh, for a period of time. And so there are different ways to fast, is what I'm saying. And that jumping in and saying, you know what, I'm going to be like Jesus and I'm going to go into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and not eat. If that's the first thing, I would not recommend that. Um, I'm not a medical doctor, but I just would not highly advise against that as being your first way of fasting. Um, And so now I want to take a moment and I want to, again, come back to a note that I mentioned earlier in the beginning of the sermon and to just acknowledge that there are two sort of ends of a spectrum in this room or listening online, and that is to say that there are some people who have maybe heard about fasting in the Bible and heard about these things and are just like, I don't know what that is. I don't understand to do it. Or I've always, I've just fasted. I've just never fasted from food because I just kind of don't want to. Like that's too uncomfortable. I would rather fast from something that's more comfortable for me. That's one side of the spectrum. On the other side of the spectrum is people who it would be unwise, unhealthy, or unhelpful to fast from food for mental or physical reasons, right? So I'm trying to balance both of those ends of the spectrum, and I'm going to first come over here to people who I am calling to consider a fast, and that is to say, let us consider the base desire of our hunger. I think there is something to taking your spirituality, getting it out of just your head, and getting it into your body, To begin to practice your prayer life with your body is something that I think is helpful. I think it counteracts um, maybe some unhelpful teachings or ideas that we have in the Christian faith that we've kind of picked up over the, over the, uh, time that are not necessarily biblical. Because when we are facing our most basic needs, we are 
we are forced to face our ultimate need, and that is God. And so I would encourage you to prayerfully consider that if you've never fasted from physical food, you've never in, been part of that. Now, I want to come over and talk to those who it would be unsafe or unwise or unhealthy to abstain from food. And the first is to say that, like, I, my heart is for you and with you. I want you to be wise, and I want you to know that the Lord sees you in your situation, whether that is a physical condition where you are unable to fast or it would be unwise for you to fast um, because it would cause complications or harm to your body, um, the Lord sees you. If you are dealing with or struggling with um, an eating disorder, like the Lord sees you and knows you, and this, I want this to be a place where you can come and participate and be part of the body of faith. And so, I have a couple things to say is, is just to simply say, be wise. Do not fast if it would be unhelpful for you or it would, could potential trigger like a chain reaction to fall back into a heat, an eating disorder or a not taking care of your body. The point of fasting is not to abuse the body. That is not the point of fasting. The point of fasting is to pray and to seek the Lord. Right? So it is not meant to be some sort of hurting of oneself. And so what I might encourage you is I might encourage you with this word um, for you and what I think maybe fits maybe the heart of the Lord and heart of Christ to you. And I don't say this to imagine that me giving you this spiritual affirmation, this truth, this heart of God is in any way going to necessarily fix your current circumstance or whatever it is that you're going through, but I hope that you hear the heart of the Lord in it. And that is to say, if we were to go back and we were to look at the passage where, John, where Jesus is talking about being with the bridegroom, he's talking about his disciples being with him, and he's saying, why would they fast? I am with them. Jesus came and ate and shared so many meals with so many people. And might this be an encouragement to you to say that the Lord wants to sit and dine with you, that the Lord is present in your life and with you, and his desire is that you might feast on his goodness and his love for you in your circumstance. I think that is the heart of the Lord. And so perhaps there is a way in which you can invite the Lord into your meals into a particular way. Be more conscious of his grace and his goodness, his desire to sit at the table with you and share a meal that you are worthy, that you are cherished, that he desires you and wants you to be healthy and happy. Pray that you understand and know the Lord's heart for you. Even perhaps consider how can you share a table with others, even if that might be a very difficult discipline for yourself, but how could you share a table with others and invite and share the love of God amongst other people around a meal? Those things themselves can absolutely and should be a spiritual discipline, practicing hospitality, practicing love, and providing for others. But then also consider what might you need to fast from or abstain from that is, that is filling the void that ought to be filled with God? There are, like I said, there are other things that we use, that we seek, that we fill the void with other than God. Uh, that might be any number of things. It might be particular hobby, it might be a particular activity, it might be um, social media is like a big one, right? We, we're all trying to play this game of like moderating our social media, and so often, at least in my own life, this is a confession, is that social media is a way for me to disengage from things, 
to perhaps hide something, to perhaps not go to the Lord in prayer and instead just numb out and not feel the thing that I ought to be praying about. Consider those things. And now I come back to just some general considerations in fasting. I think this is important um, and something that maybe perhaps might get missed because of our, I think the general side of the spectrum is we don't fast enough. And so that's been the, the point from which I've come and approached this sermon. But I think I do need to address the other side so that we do not swing into unhealth. And that is to say, don't fast if it causes you to sin. Like, don't. Like, if you're going to fast, I, this is something I'm actually having to work through with myself. Like, I get hangry. Like, it is a legit thing. If I, like, if I accidentally skip a meal, right, and I'm just kind of, Oksana will just, like, loop. Have you eaten today? No, why? Right? Like, like, give me a Snickers bar. Um, But what I'm, you know, that's all funny. We make fun of that. But, like, what I am saying is that do not fast. Do not abstain from food and then eat other people around you. Right? That is, of, that is of no good. You are back into the place of Psalm or Isaiah 58, where that is not the fast the Lord desires. Right? And so learning and training your body and disciplining your will and your, and your flesh in fasting right, is, a, is a process. And so you might need to start slow. You might need to just start with partial fasts or really small fasts, because to fast longer than that you simply are just not, you're, you're, your flesh is going to rise up and you're going to uh, eat other people with your words, with your anger, with your attitude. You're going to uh, cause sin. Don't, don't do that, right? Find, find a way to grow in that. I would also say, don't fast if it's going to be a source of pride. If you're going to fast and you're going to say, look, I'm so spiritual because I'm fasting, don't. Don't, don't do that. The Lord opposes the proud. Yeah. Right? Fasting is not, it is not a way for us to flex our spiritual muscles to, like, to kind of prove how super Christian I am. That is not what fasting is. The fasting is about seeking the Lord, growing our hunger for Him. It also, I would say, if, so I'm going to, so if you read the majority of a lot, like the history of fasting, and you were to read a lot of content about it, you'd find it that is often associated with the mortif- what's called the mortification of the flesh, or in another way of just kind of like, like helping train up the will of our body to live inside of godliness would be another way of saying that. Or putting to death the desires of the body, the things that I desire that are not in line with God. And the thing is, is that across all of that church history is that people didn't usually practice fasting by themselves in isolation. They actually practiced fasting in community and with direct spiritual oversight. I was talking with a friend who's in a different Christian tradition than ours, and he was telling me they, they have a very integrated and robust theology of fasting. It's something that the entire church is regularly practicing on a year-to-year basis all of the time. And I was talking with him about it, and he's like, one of the most important things is that you do not choose your own fast. The priest in you choose your own fast. There is wisdom in and among counselors. And so one of the things that might be a temptation for you is if you are dealing with a sin of the flesh, an addiction, and a temptation, a habitual sin that you are continually falling into over and over again, you might be tempted to say, well, if I fast, well, first off, you might be tempted to fast from the thing, the sin, and that is not sin, that is not fasting, that is repentance. And that should be a fast that you should never break, right? It would be like, like abstain, turn, and walk away. 
in grace, right? And repentance and new life, right? That's, that's a different thing. So if you're choosing, you're thinking about what fasting from, like don't fast from sin, repent from sin, right? Um, th- but the other temptation might be to say, all right, I'm going to fast and I'm going to deny myself hunger as a way to kind of beat my body or punish myself or perhaps try and make my will stronger so that I can stop sinning. And I would say that there's perhaps a place to do that inside of a deeper spiritual growth. But my worry is that if you do that on your own, that what is probably going to happen, particularly if you're jumping into it head first, is that you'll actually come out of it and you will begin to face all of the passions of your flesh. They will all come to the surface. And you might actually find that you fall back into where you were stronger and heavier than before if you're simply trying to beat your body into submission and you're not coming to a place of the cross, of grace, of repentance, of confession, of love and acceptance, of knowing that the Lord is with you wherever it is you find yourself. The Lord has grace for you. The Lord knows what you are capable of. He knows that you are stuck, and he is beckoning you not to become perfect today. He is beckoning you to take one small step towards him. And so I say this to say that do not turn fasting into a way of punishing yourself. Do not turn fasting into a way of relying upon the flesh over upon relying upon the spirit. I hope that distinction makes sense. And the other thing is just to be wise. If you have never fasted before, consider a partial fast or short fasts. Um, take it slow. Don't. The first time I fasted, I was not smart. I was young, passionate. I was, I'm going to fast because that's what real Christians do. I fasted on a day that I worked a full day. Um, I was doing a fairly physical job. I nearly passed out inside of a freezer in a grocery store. Um, don't do that, <laughs> right? Um, I was also, I was, I was, got done to the end of the day when I was breaking my fast, and I was like, mm, steak and shake. Um, I went and got a burger, fries, and a milkshake, and I regretted that so badly. Um, be wise, be gentle with your body. Do not subjugate it to harm by doing things like that. And then uh, a very, very practical tip that I learned um, recently, if you're fasting and you're like me, I experience heartburn if I ever practice the, the discipline of fasting. Something you can do to mitigate that a little bit other than antacid um, is taking some, not scalding hot or boiling water, but like warm water uh, and just sipping on it a little bit. Not like drinking a whole cup of water, but just sipping on some hot water that you would use maybe for a cooled down cup of tea can help kind of um, take the acid in your stomach down and just alleviate that a little bit. So hyper-practical, small tip. Hope that helps. So we've been talking about all of that, all the different things, and you're like, okay, Luke, you've given me some ideas, some tips, but I still have more questions about the practicality of fasting. How do I do it? What's like, what's it look like? What do I pray for? Like, when should I do it, right? Well, the when is this week because we're going to be doing it together as a church. So as part of this series of teaching us to pray, of seeking the Lord, we want to do this practice together. I'm not simply going to send us all out from here and say, okay, go fast all by yourself, go figure it out for yourself, go do it by yourself. But no, we want to invite each and every single one of you to come in to community here and to do it together. And so we have a much more in-depth guide than the few recommendations I just gave, but a very robust guide that was in one of those pamphlets that you may have grabbed as you came in has a bunch of tips and things in it. But then we also have a guide that's going to offer prompts throughout the week of things to fast from, both food and non-food related. And that can be found on our website. If you go to conduitministries.org, you go up there, 
Is it .org or .com? doesn't matter. Go to conduitministries.com and um, go up there and you can find on the top of our website link to the fasting guide. Or if you checked your kids in today or you have the Church Center app, uh, on our app is a link to this fasting guide right there. If you open up your phone, it'll be right there. Click on that. And that will take you to a web page that has all the things it has the guides for when we will pray and what we will be fasting about, and then has the guide about like what type of fast we pray or taking and how to fast. It has that guide in there as well. And then lastly, if you can't find it that way, there's a QR code on the pamphlet that'll take you to that place. Now, in addition to all of that, we're going to be giving you some prompts and some ways to be praying because we want to be doing this together. As you look at the Bible and you look at all the different ways in which we, the Bible talks about practicing a fasting, it is by and large almost, it, it's almost always in community. It does happen individually, but it is so overwhelmingly in community. A group of people will fast together to seek the Lord. And that's what I want us, we want to do here as a community is seek the Lord together in fasting. And so I'm encouraging you to do that in those prayer prompts in that that'll be something that each and every one of us who's participating will be praying over, seeking the Lord over. And the reason why is because we want the Lord. We want Jesus. I don't want to just do church. I want God in and amidst us and working alongside of us. And as we're going to do that, we're going to wrap and kind of finish that out with a prayer night here on Friday night, or a prayer and worship night on Friday night. We're going to break the fast together and come together in worship and prayer as we're seeking the Lord together. And so that is the hope. That is our plan is for us to join together as a community in this discipline to seek the Lord each and every day and then come together and worship him and pray together and break fast together as a people who have been uh, bought by the blood of Christ and united together as brothers and sisters. Let us seek the Lord together in prayer and fasting. Now, with that, I'm going to leave you again with what I want you to hear above all else. Let us turn our hearts and seek the Lord and know Christ. Let us come to him, taste and eat and find that we will not hunger and that we will not thirst, that he has offered himself as the only true life and true drink for which we need and for which we desire. Let that be a beginning reflection as we enter into a time of communion. Pastor Cameron's going to come forward and he's going to walk us through this time together. I do want to make one um, kind of clarifying point about the fasting guide that you'll find on the website. Um, is that we have, there are, there are prayer prompts and like types of fasts to choose from um, starting tomorrow, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then ending Friday. Um, and as a practice of doing it together as a whole church, what I want to be want to want to be clear on it is not that it's my expectation or Pastor Luke's expectation that you would that you would choose to fast the entire week, <laughs> um, Monday through Friday. Um, if you if you feel so led and you, you feel deeply that the Lord is calling you to a, a really significant fast like that, then of course follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. Um, but uh, also want you to be able to see that as a way in which, okay, um, maybe, I'll be, maybe I'll choose to fast Monday, and then I'll choose to fast Wednesday, and then I'll choose to fast Friday, uh, and then we'll break the fast together as a church at the prayer and uh, worship night that Friday. Or maybe it's a Tuesday, Thursday, or maybe it's a Monday, Friday, or whatever the case may be. That, that guide really just, uh, we wanted to offer that to you in in the event that you um, are just beginning to learn about what fasting is and you you want some help and some guidance in practicing that that discipline and 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 you can use that guide whatever days that you that you choose to fast 
if that would be um, if that would be helpful for you. Also, I do want to mention that the that the print printed guide, which is back there in a little basket, I know that many of you grabbed, was uh, written by Bryce. Bryce put that together uh, for us. Bryce is a member of the leadership team here, and I most of you all know and love him, and so we appreciate Bryce's hard work on that and his heart uh, to provide that to provide that for you. Uh, we're going to we're going to just after taking um, a whole sermon to talk about fasting. Uh, now we're going to feast. We're going to feast, right? Uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? Uh, that Jesus is the true bread of life, right? And those who eat of His flesh and drink of His blood will never go hungry or thirsty. Um. Uh, as we have been trying to do in the last few months uh, to add uh, depth of our both experience at the Lord's table and in our communal life together as one body. Uh, we're practicing a little bit of communion uh, liturgy. So if you, come from, uh, if you come from a church background that is a little bit maybe closer to, um, well, I guess you could say it's, it'd be closer to denominations that regularly practice a liturgy like uh, of course the catholic church would be a, a good example of that i grew up in the united methodist church and we generally practiced a liturgy around the communion table and it was a way in which the whole of the gospel was proclaimed in the midst of the act of receiving what the lord has to offer to us in um, the breaking of the body and the shedding of jesus blood and so uh, much of that is, is also focused around our, the communal affirmation and communal prayer. So uh, just about everything that I'm reading will be up on the screens behind you or behind me uh, because it will also include um, an opportunity for you to, uh, for us to uh, uh, recite or respond together, but also for you to respond um, and so I believe that the, the uh, congregational responses are in red print, right? Um, and we can follow along uh, together on the screen. Let's take a moment to prepare our hearts. Christ our Lord invites to His table all who love Him, who earnestly repent of their sin, and who seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved You with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done Your will. We have broken Your law. We have rebelled against Your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love towards us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and a joyful thing, always and everywhere, 
to give thanks to You, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in Your image and You breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, Your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity. You made covenant to be our sovereign God and spoke to us through the prophets. And so with Your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise Your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of Your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are You, and blessed is Your Son, Jesus Christ. Your Spirit anointed Him to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to announce that the time has come when You would save Your people. He healed the sick, He fed the hungry, and He ate with sinners. By the baptism of His suffering and death and resurrection, You gave birth to Your church, delivered us from the slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. When the Lord Jesus ascended, He promised to be with us always in the power of Your Word and in Your Holy Spirit. On the night that He was betrayed, He met with His followers in an upper room for a meal. And at the meal, He took a loaf of bread and giving thanks to His Father for the bread, He broke it. And then He gave that bread to His disciples saying, this is My body which is broken for you. Likewise, He took the cup. And after giving thanks for the cup, He shared the cup with His disciples, saying, this is My blood which has been poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Heavenly Father, pour out Your Holy Spirit on us gathered here. And on these gifts of bread and wine that they may be for us the blood of Christ and the body of Christ so that we may be for the world the body of Christ that has been redeemed by His blood. By Your Spirit, make us one with Christ and one with one another in ministry to all of the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at His heavenly banquet. Would you pray the Lord's Prayer with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Conduit, <clears throat> this morning, my prayer for you as you go from this place is that your hunger for God and for Christ in your life would grow in proportion to his love for you. That you would know that you are loved by him, that you are pursued by him, and that he is present with you in your day-to-day -day lives. Conduit, go in peace. If you have any remaining questions about today's topic or want to talk more about fasting, Please feel free to come forward and talk to either Cameron or I.